0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once, I was a lost coin, a sheep that had lost its shepherd. I grew up outside of Los Angeles, California, with amazing parents. I went to a great school and I excelled in everything I put my hands to. But under that exterior of happiness and success was a lonely and painful storyline. As a young kid, I fell into sexual sin, was humiliated by the event, and then spiraled into a pornography addiction that lasted until my early teens. Satan, as the merciless one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, regardless of age, had started an assault on my childhood, my identity, and my self-worth. I was terrified of being known of my true story, and was trapped in this abusive cohabitation with fear of man, unworthiness, loneliness, deep, deep self-hate. Powerlessness, depression, suicide, all protected by shame and guilt, standing guard at the door. I was mad that a God that people spoke so highly about didn't care and didn't show up. I was done. But then Jesus found me, to my surprise, and when I least expected it, he first crossed my path with a group of believers who moved in the love of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit and prayed for me in the middle of Times Square, at 10 at night, in the middle of pouring rain. And as their umbrellas gathered around me and they prayed, I was immediately wrecked by the love of God. But my heart was still too hard to give in. So he continued his pursuit of me by placing me on a five-hour flight, coincidentally, seated next to a missionary. Then he brought divine incitements into my life to share the revelation of relationship with the Father and gave me such a specific prophetic word of the redemption of my past, the secret one that I had still yet to tell anyone about. My heart and heart was melted by the love of God, and I gave my life to Christ on my bedroom floor at 2 a.m. in the morning in a flurry of tears, snot, and tissues with my roommate Yolanda praying me into the family. God continued to pursue all of me, showing me freedom and healing all the way to the root of the story I thought was too ugly to tell. Jesus went looking for his lost coin, and he found me. He went after that one sheep that thought she didn't matter, God, her cries were never heard, and he found me. I went through life thinking that this whole thing sucks. <laughs> and Jesus responded that, yeah, it's kind of a mess and it does suck, but this isn't it. And for anyone who is hoping that the mess of their life is not the conclusion of their story, Jesus is telling you it's not. He came so that what you see as a conclusion is really the introduction to the most beautiful love story that is now your very own story. That's the gospel. It's so simple. I was lost and then I was found. I said no and he said yes. I ran and he pursued. And coming from someone who was not looking, was not pursuing, and wasn't trying to be found, but was still found by the love of God, the best decision of my life was saying yes to Jesus when he came. The best decision of my life has been being all in. My name is Erica Slater and I am all in. Our scripture for today is 2 Corinthians 7, 2-7. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever.
1: Word of Lord. Erica, thank you. Thanks for letting us in. Appreciate it. We, over the last number of months, have been starting our, our service, our, our message time with a small group conversation, and we're going to do that again today. And, and in a few minutes, I'll tell you exactly why we do it. But here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to get in groups of three or four. Introduce yourself and really introduce, I mean connect so that you're really learning each other's names. And then I want you to answer this question. What is your preferred means of technological communication? Do you like to tweet? Do you like Facebook? Do you like email? Text? What is it that you that you most communicate on technologically and why? Okay? So turn and introduce yourself and answer that question. So, how many of you said Facebook? Okay. How many email? Oh, for work email. Yeah, that's not really communication, that's work. Um, how about texting? Okay. Tweeting. Any Twitter people? And Instagram? Snapchat. Face SnapFace, Whatever it is. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the thing. Technology is an awesome thing. Truly. And it celebrates the creativity of God in us. I mean, I don't know how in the world this works where you know, I can hit some buttons on my phone and, and somebody around the world can actually get them within seconds because of something out there. I don't know how that works. But it's it's the creativity of God in us. And we are more in contact with with people all over the planet than ever before. But here's the question. Even though we're more in contact, are we more connected? There's a, a woman um, from MIT by the name of Sherry Turkle, who's written a book called Alone Together. And she she researched she, she researched the um, the impact of technologic, technologically mediated communication, and and what that what that's done on us as a culture. Um, particularly among young people. And she found some, some interesting trends. One thing she calls is presentation anxiety, where, where people are so concerned about their image online that they'll only post you know, the best pictures and they'll only put up you know, the, the best language for something. They're, and they, they're anxious about what they're posting In fact, she interviewed one one young woman who said that that she wished that her real identity was more like her online identity, that she was hoping she could somehow become what she was online. There's another um, trend that Turkle found, and with regard to texting, she found that 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 there's this thing called reassuring distance. That because of texts, we don't actually have to connect, but we can communicate things. There's this reassuring distance. But but the problem with that is that there's so much about communication that you don't ever get in a text. You don't get tone of voice. You don't get body language. And so... There's there's a disconnect with that. So, for instance, what if you got a text that said, we need to talk? Somebody said, uh-oh. Well, what if, I was, what if I was looking at you, David, and I said, hey, we need to talk? You go, man, there must be some good news, right? But if you get a text, you don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? Am I in trouble? What did I do? You know, there's this tension that it creates. So what research has found is that while the screen-based communication is great at, at helping people contact each other, it also creates a sense of isolation that it doesn't really foster connection because you can hide behind things when you're texting or emailing or tweeting. Um, You can keep things at a safe distance. We have far more contact, but are we really more connected? Long before Facebook, the psalmist wrote these words, I lie awake I have become like a bird alone on a roof. I think that's a great verse for our online age, because we're we're up high. We've got because of technology, we have a view of the world like we've never had before. And yet, many of us we're still behind a screen, and we're still isolated. We're alone. We're in this series called All In. And we're talking about the power of commitment in our lives. Commitment to God and and commitment to the things that God calls us to be committed to. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about different aspects of what it means to be committed to one another in relationship. To be all in with each other because that's what God calls us to. This morning... I want us to focus on on just two words and I want us to integrate these two words into our online life, our technology life, our our social media life. I'm not saying get rid of all that stuff But, but we need to integrate these two words. They are very simple and yet very profound. The two words are in person. You see, there are significant pieces of our life, significant parts of our relationship that must be done in person. Now, I recognize that I say this, that some of you are thinking, this sounds really old-fashioned. I mean, why do I have to do that? I mean, it's less efficient. takes more time. It can get messy. Yeah, it can. But this is the way God has created us to be. He's created us to be in relationship because it is in relationship with each other that we grow in our relationship with him. We, we experience more of who he is in us. Listen to how John, one of Jesus' disciples, put it. He writes this in one of his letters. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's not talking about texting and emailing and snap-facing. He's talking about being in a relationship. He says, no one has ever seen God. There's a, a, a part of God that's invisible to us. But then he says, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now think about the implications of that. We were made for relationship. We were made to, to To love one another, and as we love one another, as we deepen in our relationship in person with each other, the more his love is made complete in us. You see there's a connection between how we relate to each other and how we relate to God. One of my favorite examples of this is, is from the life of the Apostle Paul. Many of you know Paul's story. It's an amazing story. And, and Paul journeyed around uh, Asia and, and Asia Minor and, and finally into to Europe to, to plant churches. And then on, on his third missionary journey, he gets stuck in, in Macedonia. He was on his way to Corinth. And and many people or many scholars think that he writes this second letter to the Corinthians from Philippi, but he is he's discouraged. He's he's been uh, beaten. He's been uh, imprisoned. He's he's had these hardships. And so what he does is he uses the social media of his day. He writes a letter. Anybody here ever actually written a letter? You know? Okay, that's about 50% of us. Um, You know, pen and paper and that stuff. So he writes this letter, but he's still feeling isolated. And then something happens. Listen to what he describes. This is from 2 Corinthians. He says, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. He's down. He's, he's, he's feeling lonely. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus in person. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him, he told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. How does God show up for Paul in person, in the person of Titus, a close friend that he that he respected and that that he knew and 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 who would come and speak into his life? It wasn't. Um, Paul didn't need somebody to deliver a letter. He needed someone in person to deliver the comfort of God. A few weeks ago, I was feeling pretty discouraged. And a a buddy of mine texted me and he said, hey, how you doing? And I texted back, not great. And, And he texted back and said something like, you know, I'm praying for you. Um, love you. I read it. Okay. No, you've been there. You get the text and you go, and I believe every word of it. And I'm sure he was. A few days later, he and his wife came over for dinner and as soon as I opened the door, he walked in and he wrapped his arms around me and said, man, I love you. Totally different there it was like a burden just lifted in that moment it's totally different the text was fine in person was awesome the message was the same but the heart's not the same see god has wired us that way that there are significant pieces of life that need, need to be done in person. There's a couple of psychologists named John Townsend and Henry Cloud. Many of you are familiar with these guys. And they, they've written a book called How People Grow. And in, in that book, they talk about the fact that, that we can't really grow in our relationship with God unless we're growing in our relationship with each other. And there are a lot of people who would like to say, you know, well, I'm doing fine spiritually. You know, I'm having my quiet times. I'm reading the Bible. I'm, you know, going to church. But I'm not really connected to anybody. I don't have really close, you know, friendships. But I'm still doing okay spiritually. No, you're not. We need each other to grow. We can actually drift away from God as our relationships with each other suffer, if we isolate ourselves. Um, Truth is, one of the primary reasons people languish spiritually is because they're languishing relationally. We're not created to do life alone. Going to church and reading your Bible are great things, but they're not enough um you know i we have folks who who kind of feel this isolation even in here people who come in who you know slip in a little late so they don't have to talk to anybody and and you know slip out after communion so they don't have to talk to anybody. And they hate those small group conversations. Um, They hate them because they actually have to talk to somebody. And here's the thing. We do that for a reason. Because we know that God has called us to do life together. And if we can create little opportunities to share little bits about our lives that maybe that opens the door for a, for a deeper relationship. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. And we're going to take that chance. There, I talked to a, a, a person, I don't know, a couple years ago, who said the only reason she comes to church, she doesn't like the community thing, the only reason she comes to church is she says, I come for the messages, even yours. Okay, I think that's a compliment um, and, I, and i said i said, but it 's about so much more than that it's it's about community it's about being the people of God who worship God together and connect with God together and come together so just so that we, we make the back row people feel good. Everybody up here, just turn around and say, hi, back row people, we're glad you're here. Just wave at them, welcome them. And now the back row people say, I'm never going back to that church. Um, so here's what I, what I want to do for the, for the, the, just the last few minutes is I want to give us five... Um, five areas of our relational life where we need to be committed to in-person. Okay, the first one is, is it seems pretty um, straightforward. First one is that we need to be committed to connecting with each other. We need to be committed to connecting in-person. And I know that sounds simple, but we spend so much time behind the screen these days that we can become isolated, and we we can um, well, we can be alone together. A few weeks ago, I shared a verse from Proverbs twenty-eight, where uh, not yes, Proverbs twenty-eight, where where Solomon says, um, uh, "What does he say?" <laughs> I don't know, what did he say? He's... Yeah. <laughs> he says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Question, can you be a reliable friend to 100 people? Can you be a reliable friend to 1,000 people? How many of you have social networks that are within the hundreds or thousands? Yeah. On Facebook, you got, you know, how many friends? You know, how many people are following you on Twitter? I have 13 followers. (laughs) Just saying. Um, So our social networks are so vast, and yet, We can't be reliable friends to all those people. We have to boil that down and be committed to connecting with some people in person. That's why you hear James every week talk about community groups. Every week. It's not just a good idea. It is a necessity to our spiritual growth. Friends, one of the core values of our church is significant relationships. And you can't build a significant relationship online. Can't do it. You have to do that in Person, you have to do that in the context of community, and so we're going to keep beating the community drum and beating the community drum and beating that drum because it is so important that you get plugged in relationally. We have to get connected in person, screen is not enough. The screen is a good way, texting, emailing is a good way to stay in contact between the connection times. Second, we have to be vulnerable in person. You know, it's interesting, in the rise of the internet, people seem to be sharing more than ever, but actually sharing less. You know, we know when each other's birthdays are. We know when somebody has a kid and we know where they went on vacation. But what do we really know about them? We need to be vulnerable with, with somebody in our life where we're able to share the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the addictions and the Ugly stuff and the messy stuff. Somebody who's going to come alongside of us. So the question I have for you is who is seeing the real you? Who's seeing the unfiltered you, the unedited you? Some of us might think, well, that's not really an appropriate thing to do to, to, to show, you know, our, our stuff like that. I think it is. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is he wasn't afraid to do that. You know, throughout his letters, he talks about his weaknesses. And in Romans chapter 7, no more clearly than than this, he says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. How would you like your leader to say that? He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And, and just FYI, that's in 144 characters or less. You could actually tweet that. Um, Paul is saying, I don't get it right. I don't do the right thing. I know the right thing, but I don't do it. I know the wrong thing, but I do do it. He's being vulnerable. And it's risky. Um, for those of you who are really concerned with your image that it, so that you edit it and filter it and all that stuff, my challenge to you is find somebody with whom you can be vulnerable with in person. Third, We need to have hard conversations in person. The hard talks, the hard moments, the the crucial moments. Jesus, Jesus communicated this very clearly. He said, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. What's he saying? Go to them in person. Now technology makes a way for us to get around this. We can shoot them an email or send them a text or we can tweet something. Um, But that is so damaging to the relationship because there's so much lost there. What Jesus is telling us is that if somebody's done something wrong, don't unfriend them. Don't unfollow them. Go talk to them. We need to confront each other. The the word confront comes from a Latin word that means to turn the face toward. You turn your face toward. That means in In person. It means face to face. Not through a text. Not through an email. Not through a tweet. Not even through someone else. If you've been offended. Then you need to go to that person. Jesus says. And you need to show them. You need to talk to them about it. We need to have hard conversations in person. And I... I know, or I don't know, but my guess is that a lot of you right now have somebody in your life with whom you need to have a hard conversation. Are you willing to do that? What's keeping you from doing that? Will you love them enough to do that? Fourth, we need to confess in person. You know, it's fascinating, um, and some of you know this, that there's this emerging trend online for online confessionals. Do you know about this? There, there are places that you can go online and you can confess to stuff. excellent question. To whom are you confessing? The ether land. I don't know. What that says to me is that there is this deep need in the human soul to confess stuff. Why? Because we want freedom. We want freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. We want forgiveness. We want healing. But the problem is, Online ain't going to do it. We will not find relief until we're able to confess in person or apologize in person. See, texting or emailing can make it easy to say the words, I'm sorry, without actually being sorry. Jesus' brother James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need to confess to each other, not so that we're wallowing in in guilt and shame or, or being embarrassed. We confess to each other because there's healing in it. You know, I used to hide behind so much stuff. And a few years ago, I just got tired of hiding all my crap. And so I started confessing. <laughs> I confessed to the elders. I confessed to our small group. I confessed to my friends. I confessed to our staff. Um, because there's freedom in that. And I... And we do that in person. Every time I've done that, I have felt love and support and encouragement and forgiveness because that's how God has created it. Here's the fifth and final thing and that's related to this is that we forgive in person. You know, as we get more and more from our technology, folks are saying that we're actually expecting less and less from each other. One of the things that we really need from each other is forgiveness. We need to hear the words, I forgive you. And Jesus painted this picture in, I think, kind of a challenging way. He said, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And then he goes on and he says, Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Is there anybody else who's kind of frustrated by what he says right there? I mean, come on, Jesus. Seven's a lot. Jesus, where is the line where enough is enough? Well, Jesus says there is no line. Because there's no app that can forgive you. There's no device that can heal you from shame. There's no technology that can, that can say, I forgive you for what you said. I forgive you for not showing up. I forgive you for not being there. I forgive you for, for, for messing that thing up. There's nowhere to go online to find that freedom. It's only when you hear those words, I forgive you in person, that healing happens. Some of us need to hear those words today. Some of us are longing for those words from somebody in our life. And some of us need to say those words. Some of us need to give that gift to somebody else. Why do we do that? Because that's what God did. We get connected in person. We are vulnerable in person. We have hard conversations in person. We confess in person and we forgive in person. And we do that not because technology is bad. We do that because that's what God did for us. You see, when we were at our worst, when we were broken, when we were on the run, when we were in hiding, God didn't send us a text or an email or tweet anything. What God did was he came to us in person. in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead so that we might be reconciled to God. He forgave us. And friends, because God came to us in person, because it's all about the relationship, we need to be committed. We need to be all in to doing the same with each other. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, I'm so grateful that we have the model that we have in you. That we, that the only way to really love others is to do life on life. The only way to experience um, the completeness of who you are in us is to be loving each other well. Lord, I thank you for the gift of technology. I thank you for the creativity of it. I thank you for the, the efficiency of it. But Lord, we repent of our abuse of it. And we repent, Lord, that we have let it, um, we have let it become more than it should be in our relational lives. Lord, help us to make the right decisions. To move toward each other in person. To stop hiding behind a screen. And to give of ourselves even as you gave of yourself. Lord, help us to be all in even as you were all in for us. In Jesus' name, amen.